heart is thumping. I'm ready for this week's DLC. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in. Hey, are you exercising right now? Are you out in the world? Are you one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run? We're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that's completely free thanks to our sponsors this week. Squarespace. Squarespace. And Fireside. They're bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. And also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who hears our theme song and reaches for his five-hour energy drink, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian! Hello, Jeff. This will be the last time, probably, I mention it at the top of the show, but I need to say uh, a super heartfelt thank you to everyone who picked up my stand-up album, We're All Gonna Die. As of right now, while we are recording this... It is currently the number six album on the Billboard Whoa. comedy charts. Nice, bro. Yeah, well done. And it would not be possible without everybody that uh, hangs out and contributes to this show, checking it out and spreading the word. So thank you uh, to everyone that has done it. And if you haven't, what are you doing, dude? Trying to you save your money it. for a switch or something, you idiot? No, uh, <laughs> but thank you, everyone. Get people to do that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, a lot of people sending us emails and tweets uh, about uh, the song being used in the five-hour energy drink commercial. Um, that's the only piece of music in this show that is uh, actually <laughs> license-free. We didn't own it. So I appreciate all the people looking out for us and asking us to lawyer up. But, um, uh, I, you know, I, a little part of me regrets using license-free music at the beginning of the show. But we started doing it, what, like 167 episodes ago. So uh, I ain't changing now. But um, – so thanks everybody, but we don't own it. But and also, what is Five Hour Energy Drink doing with a national commercial using royalty free music? They're saving that money for uh, all the electrolytes. They got it's electrolytes <laughs> are expensive, dude. <laughs> hey, I am excited! Oh my gosh, this week, this week, guys, I've been waiting for this week for so long because I finally get to talk to you about Horizon Zero Dawn, which I've poured over forty hours into. Uh, we have a bonus content interview at the end of the show with ricardo bear the lead designer of prey from bethesda and pray pray. we we pray uh we uh we eat pray love uh that's what we do um (laughs) and not only that guys we have an awesome guest to hang out with us uh one i've been wanting to have on for a while uh you know the dlc is always your downloadable canada and your downloadable christian but this week, we have a brand new DLC. It's delivering lots of columns because we have somebody whose work I read a ton of every week. Senior reporter at Polygon.com, Ms. Allegra Frank, is joining us for the first time. Welcome, Allegra. Hey. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, we got a ton of stuff to talk about. Games galore. It's like, who knew that the early part of the year is is the time when it's just like one hit after another. But also... We have some uh, some news to discuss, so let's get to that now with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. That's not story a royalty-free song, Jeff? Sorry. No, that's we own that. Somebody wants to, <laughs> you, you want to use that on a five-hour energy drink song? <laughs> Come talk to us. Actually, that's Patrick L. Uh, yeah. from Sweden. He, uh, he, he remixed that. 
Uh, so he, you know, we'd have to, we'd have to talk to Patrick. Uh, <laughs> story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration using our hashtag DLC SOTW or by visiting our subreddit, which is over there uh, at five by five DLC dot Really cool. Also, I should mention, because I don't mention it enough. They're, the guys over on on the Reddit and gals are uh, compiling a list of our um, a running list of our parting gifts, the, the little recommendations that we do at the end of each episode. Uh, it's a comprehensive list, and it's uh, it's stickied at the top of our subreddit. So if you're ever curious about what our parting gifts are, how cool is that? I love that they're doing that. So thanks to everybody. All right, story of the week, uh, Allegra. You are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. And what would you consider to be your story of the week? I think the story I loved the most last week, the story that I thought was the most exciting was definitely that Nintendo Switch that ended up somehow in someone's possession. (laughs) And it led to copious, you know, unboxing videos and people tearing it apart and people kind of finding tiny little things out about the Switch just vis-a-vis like this video that this guy put up. I thought that was so fascinating and kind of cool, even with the sort of shady circumstances that led to it ending up in that guy's house. Yeah, yeah. I I read actually a lot of your reporting on this on Polygon.com. And um, I guess Nintendo's coming out and saying now that that this was stolen and that they are actually pursuing, pursuing, you know, um, uh, law enforcement opportunities to kind of come at these guys uh, or this dude hip hop the robot is the name of the neogaf poster who claimed that uh, oh wow crazy uh, somebody sent me a switch early i pre-ordered it and whoop just showed up uh, you know several weeks early nintendo says no was stolen um but as you said we we you know we the public got some interesting reveals of the uh the interface the ui how it's going to look when you you know when you pull it out of the box i think the most interesting part is that we finally got confirmation sort of buried deep in in the uh, EULA that you have to uh, agree to when you turn on the system that your uh, your account balance your uh, your the any games you buy on your account are going to stick with your account so you finally be able to re-download purchases from the eShop which you hadn't been able to do before so that's that's some good news right Yeah, that's huge. And it's so strange and so perfectly Nintendo that that's like a huge piece of news. Because, you know, with Sony, with Xbox, with uh, Microsoft, those consoles, you know, it's unfathomable that you would buy something from the PlayStation Store and not be able to just download it to any PlayStation 4 that has your account on it. But of course, with Nintendo, they're so... I find them extremely endearing in this way, but (laughs) they're so far beyond and so far behind everyone else that the fact that they're finally sort of catching up to where everyone else was in like 2006 is wild and huge and exciting. And you think it's just sort of adorable that Nintendo just, you know, it's like, oh, you guys wanted to know about that stuff? You wanted to – those are features you you were interested in? We had we had no clue. <laughs> yeah. Like I feel like Nintendo is finally like reading Reddit or Gaff or something or looking at Twitter and being like, oh, wait, you guys. You should have <laughs> just told us you wanted to like be able to download your games again without having to call customer service. Okay, sure. You should have just sent us an Animal Crossing email and yeah. uh, or a piece of mail and, you know. Anyway, uh, Christian, what do you think about this? Did you uh, did you glean any new bits of fun info from the from the sweet unboxing vids? So first of all, I mean, he pre-ordered that system from me 
weeks ago. Um, <laughs> Todd Johnson sent it to me, and I was allowed to do. Oh, always throwing Johnson under the bus, man. Todd, Not man, cool. he's just loose lips, sink ships, you know? Um I think the most amazing thing about this story is that it's a story, and I was captivated by it. Don't get me wrong, but we're, what, two weeks, under two weeks away from this thing coming out, and we're like, you can turn it on! It turns on! This is a system that definitely turns on! And we're like, yes! And it it plays games, and yes! Like, when was Nintendo going to, like, it's so weird, right? Like, at their big hands-on press event, it looked like those things, and even, I haven't gone to, like, the rolling truck stop tours anywhere, but it seems like those things are kind of playing just dedicated games too. Like Allegra, I don't know if you were at the New York event. I was not there. But apparently, when they would like switch between games or or uh, even um, mini games and some of the games, it was like almost a full reboot of this system. And it's like hard stop, load up the next thing. Here we go. Like that's that is an adorable Nintendo. I think where they're just like, yeah, of course. I don't know. He it's coming out. It's weird. It's so weird. Yeah, I was at that New York event. And it was really strange because I was, you know, both in reporter mode, but also just like Nintendo fan from childhood mode, where I was like, no, I want to see every possible menu and every possible thing it can do. So I would like, you know, I'm holding the system and I would try and reset it. But when you reset it, it would just immediately go back to like the game again. So we were completely locked out of the interface. Like they were just keeping all of that just so under under wraps in this What's really in interesting way. Yeah, it's like okay, it's lotto like numbers or guys. Like it's just some icons from Splatoon. It's not yeah. like this this wild secret, you know, CIA business. Um, but at, at the same time, I've always really sort of appreciated how Nintendo manages to just really maintain complete control which maybe i don't know if that's necessarily so admirable or so respectable but i think it's interesting at least that they really are able to maintain such control over their hardware they're they're just so going against the grain in a way that i've always found kind of fun to watch but i do completely agree with you that like this is weird that it's a story because it is just like a user interface and it is like two weeks before launch that we're all just getting so jazzed about seeing like a menu it is bizarre (laughs) I want to ask you about another angle on this because, uh, you know, you bring up companies that have control over their hardware, and that certainly is reminiscent of Apple. And it seems to me that this sort of reminds me of, you know, when that dude left the iPhone in the bar on the on the table and then yeah, a reporter. Picked- he was working for Apple. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and Apple made a big case about like, you know. You know, you're not. You shouldn't report on this. This is a, a crime. This is not something. And I'm wondering if, in the context that Nintendo's putting it in, of a law enforcement, you know, issue, are you as a reporter? Do you have any qualms reporting on something like this when Nintendo's saying, "Hey, this was a theft"? Yeah, I mean, it is always sort of a sticky thing where it's like, okay, technically this is out of you know the grounds of legality, but I think. My job as a reporter is sort of to, you know, bring the news to the people, the the stuff that is newsworthy, that is interesting. And just because something is stolen, first of all, we didn't know it was stolen in advance. Obviously, the circumstances were immediately curious because, yo, you don't just end up with a switch two weeks before it comes out in your house. Like, that doesn't (laughs) just happen. Um, But I think ultimately it's not my responsibility to like, you know, ensure the the legal and steady sales of a console, right? Like it's just sort of my responsibility to 
if there's something novel that the community wants to know about and should know about, I'm going to report on that regardless of, you know, the intrinsic legalities there. Right. No, I think that's a fair point. Um, all right, Christian, uh, what's your story of the week? Well, also just legally, um, again, not a lawyer, currently a lawyer, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you can, it's totally fine to report on that stuff, right? Like, unless you're the one participating in the, yeah, the stealing of it. Yeah. Um, Man, it's it's weird because I'm I'm hyped for so many things right now, so I don't really want to pick. There are two that I'm very interested in. Whatever, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll keep it on Nintendo because this is something real and more immediate than some of the other things are getting me so excited for like 2025 or whenever they <laughs> whenever they happen. Uh, some of the download sizes for Nintendo for some of the games have come out. Like they had mentioned that Zelda was what 16 gigs. This thing has 32 gigs of onboard storage, but can uh, incorporate a micro SD. But now Dragon Quest Heroes 1 and 2 is a 32 gig download, which is how, you know, that's what you have on the system. So I feel like you probably can't download that, right? Like almost every system I've ever owned, you need plus the Yeah, I think they've already the revealed thing. that the Switch, you know, reserves like 6 gigs or something for, <laughs> so yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> and Nintendo, it's I, I get it. You know, you want to keep the cost down. They say that this is a home console, not a handheld. But at the end of the day, like, you know, how much like storage is on your iPhone? You know what I mean? Like 128 gigs is maybe the biggest or whatever it happens to be now. So I, I get it. But at the same time, when you're making a quote unquote console and games are 16 to 32 gigs, it's just, uh, you know, it's a 299 system. <clears throat> Buy it. You need a terabyte card. <laughs> you need, like, you literally can't play the game. You can't download the games to play on your system. Yeah, it's like, you know, you download games so you can avoid cartridges, but you're basically swapping cartridges now because uh, your SD card is your cartridge, right? We just need a big one when they come out. What did it say? You can support up to a two terabyte, but those aren't out yet. Um, so it's just kind of like that flash memory SD card hasn't come out to be the size that people would want it to be for this system. So I think there is going to be a little bit of growing paints there, but... You know, I would definitely recommend if you're picking this thing up and you're planning on going quote unquote digital, you should pick up an SD card. The good news is you can find them relatively cheaply now, but it's just another kind of headache on this hidden maybe, cost. Yeah. yeah, the hidden cost of owning a Switch. Allegra, what's your what's your feeling on this? Yeah, no, I, I think it's it's again like indicative of Nintendo sort of being behind the times. Like I I totally imagine they design this thing and they're like. Oh, you know, people still buy cartridges, right? That's a thing people are going to want to do. They do for the 3DS, um, especially because there's the whole like rigmarole with like re-downloading your games. I mean, obviously with the Switch, it's going to finally be better that you'll actually be able to re-download them. It's like associated with your Nintendo account ID. But with past systems, you actually had to literally call Nintendo and be like, no, I can prove that I bought this game. So Nintendo has never been so like download friendly. And to me, even as a longtime Nintendo fan and owner of their consoles, I probably am not going to download games. Like just natively like you know thinking about it i'm like oh why would i download my nintendo games but with all my other consoles like that is what i'm gonna do yo it's midnight this game's out i want to play horizon zero dawn right now i'm not gonna go to a store i'm gonna download it right um so, so you're it, gonna wait 28 hours as it downloads slowly on your ps4 yes exactly i'm gonna wait a week <laughs> yeah. so that it will finally download but i think you know they are start, starting again to be cognizant of like, okay, this is how people actually play games in 2017. So we have to start being accommodating. But then 
they're not great at it. <laughs> like they're still not right. great at it. Like they still are like, okay, people want to download games. Let's put 32 gigabytes of hard drive on there. Like th- that's crazy, right? Like the minimum for a PlayStation four is like two fifty or something like that's nothing. Yeah. Uh, a few comments from the chat room. Uh, Remily says I only buy physical games, so it's not a big deal to me at all. But uh, Zero Lego says, uh, with 64 gig SD cards costing 22 bucks on average, they could have included extra in the system. I think that's, that's retail. Like that's to us, 22 bucks. Yeah, like- so it's like four dollars <laughs> to the actual. Yeah, I, it's it's baffling. It is baffling to have, to go in with that. I, I can't imagine it would have added that much cost to the production. But I, you know, I don't know the details, so maybe I'm. I wrong. just feel like when it's a system that is meant to be kind of on the go with you, and I know they've had Game Boys and DSs or whatever that also have been difficult or more cumbersome than not to download things to but i feel like with my switch how ideally i'm playing it right like at home and then i pick it up and take it with me and i don't want to be on an airplane or wherever and be like oh crap i left my um zelda cart at home like i want to have it all i want to have it all like with that type of grab and go so i'm gonna be i'm gonna be buying that big sd card for sure My story of the week is one of these hype trains, uh, and it's very, very early. It's uh, so far down the line, you can't, you know, it's that, you know, when you're standing in the uh, in the subway and you feel a gust of wind because you, you think that the train is coming, but you're not sure which side. Is it on the side I need or is it on the other side? Uh, that's basically how close this gust, this uh, hype train is. Um, our friends over at Glixel, uh, John Davison, awesome, doing an awesome job over there at Glixel. Uh, They landed a really cool interview with Todd Howard from Bethesda, who talked about what they are working on, including two, quote, big games. He said, I can't talk a lot about them, but I can say that they're bigger than anything we've ever done. They're a bit different, but definitely in the wheelhouse that people are used to from us. Woo! He also mentioned uh, Fallout 4 VR, which we know about. They showed at E3, what, last year or the year before? And uh, he said it's going great. He said there's still a lot of work to be done, especially on the locomotion aspect. But that VATS, which is that, you know, pause the game, uh, sort of not pause the game, but slow the game down tremendously and aim at specific parts of the enemy, the system in Fallout 4. He said that that works uh, in VR and it's awesome. So I'm excited. Uh, my question to you, Allegra, is um, do we – I mean, clearly one of these two games is the next Elder Scrolls game. I don't – maybe the other of the two is Fallout 5. Maybe that's the only two things that they can work on. <laughs> a, do you want them to ha- introduce new IP? And B, are what we're looking for from Bethesda games bigger? Do we want bigger? <laughs> okay. I have to speak completely on a personal level when I talk about this. So I – I am not a big Bethesda person, and I think my main qualm with them is that their games are too big. <laughs> like, right. I am exhausted. I tried playing Fallout 4, and I was like, I am tired already. There's so much here. I'm only two hours in. There's way, 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 way too much going on. So the idea, like, you talking about them, or you, you know, quoting from Todd Howard saying that they're going bigger, I'm like, okay, Bethesda. I'm going to stop you there because I need to take a nap just thinking about this. Um, So I don't know. So that's just me speaking from my own personal perspective, but I don't, I can't even fathom what bigger necessarily means. I don't know if necessarily people even want bigger. Um, I mean, I I guess it's a word that can have multiple meanings, right? It doesn't necessarily need to mean more content. It can mean 
more grandiose, you know, like the idea of the game is bigger, I guess. I don't know. It's not the size of the game. It's the motion of its ocean. Right. That's what you how you use it. Yeah. It's how you use the game. Yeah, I mean, definitely, like, a quote like that is so vague, where it's like, what what does this mean? But, like, our first thought when we think Bethesda is, like, the actual scope of right. it. Um, like, I feel like that's what they're known for. But as for the other thing of whether or not this is a new IP, I think, I mean, they don't really have too much that we know of on the table right now. I agree with you, it will probably be the next Elder Scrolls game. But, you know, we have, like, this remake, this reboot, reimagining, whatever we want to call it, a prey. That's really interesting. And then Quake's coming back. So maybe we'll see, you know, just as Doom came back last year, sort of a resurgence of an old IP we haven't seen in a while. It kind of seems like Bethesda's going along that trend lately, just sort of bringing back games we haven't, you know, seen in quite some time. And I think Elder Scrolls definitely qualifies, even though we just had the remaster of Skyrim, but we haven't had a new you know, Elder Scrolls game right. in a while. Uh, w. Matthew in the chat says, if one of those projects isn't a new game engine, I don't care. They need a new game engine. Uh, I agree. I would agree with that. I mean, I think uh, Fallout 4, even when it came out, looked dated just from a visual perspective. And I would assume that that's, that could be the idea of what bigger would mean is that, hey, we're, you know, starting from scratch and we're making a game engine that, that, you know, really feels next gen. I think that could be cool, especially if they're taking advantage of, you know, like a a Project Scorpio and a PS4 Pro type level hardware and, you know, where PCs are now. I could get really excited for it, you know, a new Bethesda game engine. That would be really cool. Yeah, I'm a little cautious about potential bugs that might be introduced in, in a new <laughs> in a new Bethesda engine. They've had the old one for so long and still don't have it <laughs> quite ironed out. I, I hope what I'm hopeful about is that and I know I kind of joked and you joked about, you know, this train being far away. I didn't even really want to bring it up because like who knows? But I'm I'm hopeful that they are still following their Fallout 4 model. And you know, you and I both really like that, Jeff, when they kind of showed it at E three and it's coming out today. Not literally today, but you know, that kind of yeah. we we questioned whether or not that was a new paradigm and uh, announcement and release cycles. And I would love to see something like that where, you know, the next Elder Scrolls, it, it is huge and they've been working on it and it is a new engine and it, it's closer than we think it is. I think that'd be exciting. Yeah, I, I, I'm hopeful for that too. Don't talk about it until it's ready. But I mean, this is kind of talking. Although, you know, him saying, hey, we're working on stuff. It's like, well, obviously, they that's what they do for a living. You know, uh, we're working on stuff. But, you know, I guess working on two things. He really said we're working on three things, but one of them is a mobile title. So that's that's kind of interesting. And I'm I'm very excited for Fallout 4 in VR. I think that could be a pretty fun experience too. But I hope they figure out that locomotion because what I played at E3, while impressive, uh, you know, that game, as he mentions in this interview – you know, popping around, uh, uh, teleporting around through the game just isn't feasible because you're moving so much in that in that game. Um, it just seems take like Resident tedious. Evil Seven. They nailed it from E3 demo nausea to final release. Uh, you know, super playable. I would love to see more Is it games. A lot kind better of... now. Re oh, Seven so in VR. Better. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it seriously like benched me at E3. I was like <laughs> lying on the ground afterward, and I was like, "Please don't talk to me. Don't touch me. I can't breathe." It was so much. Yeah, yeah. they clearly learned something from from making you and others sick because, yeah, uh, yeah it's it, it didn't give me a, even one moment of nausea. But I will say, Christian, I think it's a far cry from, uh, you know, being in a house that you move around in slowly and hide from things to a giant, massive open world Fallout type game. I, I, the the 
requirements of locomotion in a fallout world are just so much more intense than in resident evil. Yes. I hope that they nail that, but it's, you know, it's just, it's just harder to get around that world because you're moving so much more. No, that's true. I mean, all Tom Clancy ghost recon wildlands you that I agree with your point. That it's just a different... <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you're, we're arguing for honor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, it's a steep hill to climb. If we're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ubisoft. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. I don't know if there's anything else we, we want to bring up here. I mean, Phil Spencer basically said Xbox One is going to have more exclusive titles in 2017 than they did in 2016, which is pretty cool because we only know about two of them right now, um, which is uh, State of Decay 2 and Sea of Thieves. So that. Crackdown 3. Oh, Crackdown 3. You're right. I'm kind of, right? <laughs> I still, you know, every year I'm like, is this the year the Crackdown 3 is going to blow me away? <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping, you know, lots of cool stuff uh, reveals at E3, especially with, uh, Scorpio, you know, coming out. I think, I think it could be a fun year. I'm really personally bummed about Scalebound still. Cause I thought that game looked really, really cool and fun. And I think a lot of what, you know, Phil Spencer is sort of going on this, and I'm not going to call it a crusade, but him coming out saying like, Oh, don't worry. We're still going to have original, like exclusive games. I think a lot of that came from the response to Scalebound being canceled. Cause a lot of people were really upset about that. Cause that was supposed to be, you know, really unique, interesting Xbox one exclusive. And then it got canceled. Yeah. No, that's a great point. So yeah. So I think they're definitely like, you know, going on the, the defense here being like, don't worry guys, we actually do still have other stuff. Yeah. We killed that one, but we're not killing all of our exclusives. We have some stuff in the oven. And, you know, here it is February and I got my like E3 press conference, uh, reserve the date. It's right around the corner. I was like, really? Right around the corner? It's we're, we're in February. It's June. That's not a corner. That's that's you don't know what corner means. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's a little telling that they moved up their press conference to Sunday to uh, clearly they they're itching, raring to go. They're like, oh, one more day earlier. We can tell we want to tell you about all this stuff, guys. So that's exciting. Uh, all right. Well, let's wrap, let's wrap up the news. Cause I, uh, you know, the, it's so much fun. There's so much fun stuff to talk about, uh, in, uh, in games to play. So let's get right now to story of the week. But first I want to thank our sponsor Squarespace. Let me ask you a question. What is your next move? Chances are you- to King. Fo- oh, sorry. No, no, that's good. Is it night to King four? <laughs> if you're playing online chess, chances are your next move is going to be something online, your next website, your next uh, domain, the next thing you need to do in your life is probably going to have an online component. And the best way to have an online presence is with Squarespace. Your next move should be with Squarespace because Squarespace is the easy way to create beautiful, well-designed websites that are stable, that have uh, great-looking components, that have a great user experience. But the best part is they're easy to create. It's all drag-and-drop. What you see is what you get. And there's you can make an online store. You get any Really, anything that your next move is, Squarespace can support. It's an all-in-one platform. It's award-winning. They have templates. They have a, a great starting place. And then it's so easy for you to move things around and create something that's unique to you and and uh, perfect for what you might need. They have 24-7's customer support. And we're going to help you out. We're going to hook you up. If you use our promo code, all you got to do is go to squarespace.com slash DLC. Use the promo code Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E. You'll get 10% off your first purchase. 
But the coolest part is you can build your website without even having to give them a credit card. You can check out their tools for free without even having to put in any kind of automatic charge or anything. You get to decide when you save that 10% when you buy uh, their service. And if you sign up for a year, you'll get a free domain name. That's pretty cool too. So go to squarespace.com slash DLC. Use that promo code Jeff sent me after you're done and you like what you like. Make your next move with, with squarespace.com slash DLC. Promo code Jeff sent me. And that glorious piece of music was from Sean Madigan. Uh, so, uh, you know, talk to him. Five-hour energy drink. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, usually this is where uh, I let everybody else talk first, but I'm, I can't this week because we gotta, we got to lead off. So how with... long till I should come back? Yeah, I'm not, there's not going to be spoilers, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a lot about the systems <laughs> okay. of Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, my last save... I'm a little over 41 hours played. Oh. Um, I adore this game. It is everything I love. Allegra, have you have you had any time with it, or have you seen anybody playing it? I watched some people play it for, like, an hour. Okay. So I'm familiar with, like, the first hour. Uh, yes. The, the first hour is very good, but the game really opens up. I mean, it is an open-world uh, adventure game. It is. It's like if uh, Lara Croft and Gerald of Rivia had a baby. Uh, that would be Horizon Zero Dawn. I mean, it is very much the new like Rise of the Tomb Raider meets The Witcher, which you know both of those are two of my favorite games. But that sounds like fanfic that I wrote last year. Where it made yeah. literally mad. It was weird, but it worked <laughs> out at the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know, it, it, it steals mechanic. I mean, there's nothing really that. Horizon Zero Dawn does that is completely unique. You really do see the DNA of those two games. You see some Bioware DNA, some Mass Effect DNA in there. You see definitely some Far Cry DNA in there. It is it is a mashup of a lot of things that you've seen before, but it does it all so well and wraps it in an environment and an aesthetic that is completely unique and cool. I love The Witcher, but I have to say being in the Witcher's world is not particularly great. Like you're riding your pony around you know, down a road and there's people hanging from trees, right? It's There's demons that are really disgusting. And I think the voice acting of Gerald is hard to listen to for hours and hours and hours. It's just so much of this. Your voice acting is... <laughs> it's just, you just want to talk like this. Um, and, and even Fallout, you know, is a game that I loved. And I put dozens and dozens of hours into but even that world after a while it just feels a little oppressive and and hard to be in contrast that with horizon zero dawn which is a big open world but it's vibrant it's beautiful there's different areas you know you're in the snow you're in the desert you're in the jungle it's got all of the wonderful aesthetic of being in an open world and transitioning from place to place but you what you are hunting are these majestic mechanical beasts and they are so cool and the game figures out ways to turn what what are usually kind of annoying in video games like you know hit the glowy bits into smart compelling awesome gameplay and and you know taking down a, a big monster or even a bunch of little monsters the the idea that you can like 
make an attack at the time of your choosing, which is something I really loved from the first Bioshock. That was a, a revelation from that game is anytime you, you wanted to take down a big daddy, you decided when you were going to do that. You got ready. You you stocked up on all the weapons and, and, and skills that you wanted. And you're like, okay, now's the time. Let's do this. That's kind of how it is, you know, in Far Cries like that. And, um, uh, you know, there's a few games that do that. Horizon Zero Dawn does it brilliantly because, yeah, there are times when you have to fight things. But for the most part, you're setting up your traps and you are uh, – and, and there's really, really cool weaponry in the game. I mean, it it is a game that does bow and arrow very, very well. And you'll eventually get lots of different kinds of arrows. And they all have different uses. And, and knowing what to use at any given time is really fun and and a really fun rabbit hole to go down. You're scanning these creatures and they have different parts. And you can literally knock... <laughs> they have different components parts, right? You can literally <laughs> knock certain parts off of them, which, which change their behaviors. So... If a, if a creature has like a mechanical cannon on its back, you can shoot the cannon off first so it can't shoot you. Or you can disable its awareness system so it doesn't know where you are. Or you can overheat it or electrocute it. And it has these different states that you can put it in that cause different effects. And it'll have different weaknesses based on what kind of creature it is. So it's a really strategic kind of approach that you're taking based on what arrows you're using. And... All of that is built around a brilliant economics model where everything you do in the game, literally everything you do, has meaning and has purpose. Too many, I think, open world games give you busy work, give you things that don't feel like don't have carrots on the end of their sticks. They're just sticks. Yeah, you can run around and and you know do a hundred cab missions in GTA. And I guess it'll make make you money, but at a certain point, what do you need money for in GTA? I guess if the cab mission's fun, you're having fun doing the cab missions, but why in in The Witcher do I want to spend a, a thousand hours playing Gwent? You know, I can. Gwent is fun and it's a fun game, but I always felt like I was wasting my time playing Gwent in The Witcher, which is why I'm glad they spun off Gwent into its own game, because I'm like, I'm inside this game playing a different game. I'm not progressing my character. I'm not, it feels weird. If There's so much of open world games that are like that. It's like, I'm not, there's, I'm not progressing. I'm not doing anything that I have that has palpably, is palpably making my character more powerful. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn really nails that aspect of it. I mean, even the little critters that run around like rabbits and boars and foxes and stuff, you need to hunt those. You, you, they will drop things that will help you. Everything you can attack or get or, or, or loot has value because you're constantly crafting weapons. I mean, not weapons, um, ammo for your weapons. And you're going to be able to do that in the heat of battle. So if you're out of something, you can craft it instantly by pressing a button. And it creates this wonderful dynamic of like, stocking things up and preparing for an encounter, preparing for a battle. It is, it, it's a, an economic system that makes you more powerful as you go on because you're, anytime you go to a merchant, which is another thing in open world games and in role-playing games in general, 
Merchants, for the most part, in role-playing games are pretty useless. Maybe there's a couple of items that you need to buy from merchants, but most of the time you're looting things, right? You're looting the next cool big weapon. You're waiting for that drop to happen rather than buying it from a vendor. At least that's how I play. In Horizon, the vendors sell the weapons. That, that's the only way to get a new cool weapon that allow you a new cool ammo type that does some new cool elemental attack on the, on the bad guy. But it's not just money. Yes, it takes metal shards, which are the, the currency of the game, but they also require some rare drop from some specific creature. So you're constantly like setting up these hunts to go. It's much more like like Far Cry does. You're setting up these hunts to go get that unique thing that I need from this animal, from this metal beast. Uh, and that is really, really fun. It gives you some reason to be doing those kinds of things. Uh, Can and, I ask a question? Yes. So <clears throat> I, I, this sounds awesome. This is the most I think you've ever sounded uh, along my preferences for open world games um, where it's like, yeah, give me a reason to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm wondering, are, are, is ammo is, or are resources scarce? Because I would argue in Fallout 4, some of the games that you said, you know, have these things and games that you've loved. I'm not trying to say you didn't like these games, but you are progressing. It's just the amount of thing that you get from the thing is often not needed because you already have better ammo or, you know, or even in, in Neo as I'm playing it, like it's like a loot drop game or Diablo or something like that. You're, you're getting stuff, but chances are you, you're, you're burning it um, or selling it back to get the thing to save up for the big thing, but then you'll get the big thing on a drop anyway. So it kind of feels worthless, but it also isn't a resource scarce world. So you're always kind of on that grind. Like you've played this game tons already yeah you said 47 hours so are you at a point where it feels you're constrained for these things where you need to do a hunt to craft and get your arrow and that's what makes it seem valuable or like how are they not how is it not just you're picking up another clip for your gun but who cares because you have a million clips for your gun well you ammo doesn't drop right only components only things that that build into the crafting economy drop and you can gather them as well. So you're going to be constantly gathering plants. I mean, there are mounts in this game, but I found myself not mounted more often because I wanted to be constantly gathering plants as I went along my way. And there's two reasons for that. First of all, and I'm digressing here, but I'll get back around to your question. Uh, First of all, there's no stamina meter in this game, which is brilliant, brilliant. I can sprint indefinitely. I can dodge roll indefinitely. I don't ever have to stop. So it mitigates some of that open world feeling of like, oh, it's so far to get from here to there. Yes, there's fast travel in this game too. That's also tied to a resource that is is constrained. But the fact that you can sprint constantly is really, really nice. It it doesn't make not being on a mount tedious. Uh, The other thing is that Wait, what, what, your, your question was again, Christian? I'm... Just whether or not like, you're resource constrained. Like you're, right. you know, you're okay. grinding out to, and also they're not, might not be dropping ammo, but they're dropping components to make ammo, right? So you're just one yes. button press away from ammo. So instead of giving you're you one a bullet. Button, you're one button press away from ammo, but you, different components craft different kinds of ammo and you need many, many, many kinds. Like the, the high level weapons are, have three different ammo types for each weapon and you're going to have four weapons on your bar at any at any time um so you're constantly you know deciding what kind of weapon you're going to be using in that situation uh and there's a distinction between just ammo that you're crafting constantly and the sort of 
really impactful things that you need, like a new awesome purple weapon. If I want a new awesome purple weapon from a vendor, I need to have like the heart of one of these beasts. And of sometimes Tefiti, it's re- the heart of Tafiti. Yeah. <laughs> so like, uh, you know, I needed a trampler heart. One, a trampler is one of the big sort of like a, uh, big, like a rhino type character. And so I went and I had to hunt a, a herd of tramplers and it was so thrilling to be riding across the plains and taking down these mechanical majestic beasts to try to harvest one of their hearts so that I could go and then pay the fee plus heart that was required to get me this weapon that I really wanted. So yeah, there, there's like little fodder crafting stuff like the ammo, but there's these bigger things that require more rare items that take a lot more effort to get to get the cooler, bigger, awesome weapons. And you're also crafting bigger pouches to carry your stuff. And you know, you're, the crafting economy is really, really well done. Hmm. Um, uh, so one other question for Allegra. Sure. Have you, people in the chat have brought up Monster Hunter. I am ignorant to monster hunter other than i know it exists and i've tried to get into it and then bounce off of it allegra have you are you monster hunter familiar does any of this sound like something that maybe has existed before uh i'm pretty ignorant to monster hunter myself i played a little bit of final fantasy explorers which is sort of like the final fantasy take on monster hunter um but yeah no i i would say i'm sort of in general not as well versed in this genre but i think something that i both based off what you're saying um, about this game, like for the, you know, that they don't limit your stamina. I think that sounds really rad, but my question, if I can, if I, if I can step in with a question here is what's the story like in this game? So obviously it's an open world RPG, but I'm really curious about this, this lead character because, you know, she's this really sort of, you know, Lara Croft mold female hero and i think she seems really interesting and rad so i'm kind of curious as to sort of what the development is on that end i would i would venture to say you're going to love her uh she is awesome she's fully actualized she's you know she is heroic and awesome and smart um the i love fantasy you know tolkien-esque fantasy and i love sci-fi right this game gets to be both it's brilliant how they did it. You're in this fantasy world with these these warring tribes that are sort of the the uh, you know young human culture uh, that are you know kind of primitive and and using the equivalent of you know bows and arrows and swords and and stuff like that. But it's also it also gets to be Halo. It also gets to be you know we are post future. So you find out all these cool things about the future. Uh, I'm not going to spoil anything at all. It is, there's nothing that is particularly unexpected, at least, I mean, I haven't gotten to the very, very end yet, but uh, I mean, it's kind of plays out as you might think, but it does it in a really, really fun way. I can't remember another game where I read everything that I collected, you know, all of the little like, you know, logs that you find uh, that you scan and, you know, goes into your glossary or whatever. I can't remember a game where I spent more time looking at that stuff because it's all really interesting and, and well fleshed out. Plus it does the thing that I think Witcher three did really, really well, which is side quests. Don't feel slight. They don't feel less than a side quest has weight and, and is, you know, fully voice acted and has twists and turns. And it isn't just go fetch one thing. Often it'll start as go fetch one thing. And then it'll, 
have some new element that you didn't see coming. And I think the writing is, is really strong. She as a character is great. As you know, from the first hour, you, you, know, you start with her as, when she's a little kid. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she has awesome lines. There are many, many times where she gets to show her personality and she, she's spunky and vibrant. She's really a character, I think, that's going to endure in the video game culture, or, you know, uh, whatever, what's the Zeitgeist? word I'm looking for? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm so curious um, how this game, and it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's coming out so close to Zelda, and Zelda is Zelda, right? Zelda's the 800-pound gorilla and likely always will be. It hasn't had a huge franchise misstep, it, you know, since maybe Zelda 2 on the NES, which people have come <laughs> around on and like again. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so fascinating that we have these two games that I think will be different, but will often be compared, especially kind of like the way Tomb Raider and Uncharted were compared. Like, I... Those games were very different, but I understand that if you try to label them and put them in a genre, they're likely going to end up in the same, you know, shelf kind of thing. Um, so I'm so curious how this game kind of its legacy ends up. But I also, having not played it, I'm so glad it's great because I think it's amazing. This kind of feels like GTA, uh, GTA, sorry. Um, oh, come on, brain. Metal Gear. Metal Gear Solid Five for me where it's, you know, I had liked Gorilla's past games, but I'm always a little worried when it's like, yeah, we've made these great, linear, beautiful hallways, and now we're doing an open world. And I'm like, are you, though? <laughs> and kind of like the way Metal Gear nailed it, it sounds, like they, it sounds like they nailed this. Yeah, I was genuinely worried that it was coming out so close to Zelda. And I think Zelda is going to have to be really, really, really good for it to unseat this game as my game of the year. Wow. If, if, we, if we get some game that makes this not game of the year... It's going to be an incredible game because this is... And they're coming back to back, right? Because it's Mass Effect and Zelda. (laughs) Right? Well, and then we have Red Dead coming at the end of the year. Like, this to me is better than, you know, most of those games. But I think it might be... I like it more than Red Dead, the first Red Dead. Oh, what? Yeah. I really do because it it strips out all of the tedious bits of open world. Like Red Dead is great and has lots of cool stuff, but it almost has too much cool stuff and and too much sort of just (laughs) filler and fluff, right? This game, everything in this game I want to do. I want to do everything in this game. It it doesn't feel like fluff or filler. It feels like stuff that gets me cool stuff, you know, even like doing bandit camps, you know, like there's a – there's a thing, you know, that's common in Far Cry and um, oh, what's the game that just came out recently that had, you know, do bandit camps to – oh, Witcher. Witcher has that. You know, you can open up uh, – you can uh, clear out a village and then you have – it turns that village into, you know, like a has a, a vendor and it has a save point and all that stuff. That's what they do here. And so those are completely skippable and there are corruption zones that are completely skippable. But – it's so much fun to do them and you get good things for doing them. I want to do everything in this game. And the key to that, you know, I know I see a lot of people in the um, chat room talking about Monster Hunter, right? As you mentioned, this is Monster Hunter, except the mechanics are fun. I played a fair amount of Monster Hunter. And I know people love that. praising a game. I love it. You're throwing Red Dead under the bus. Now you're taking shots at Monster Hunter. <laughs> Dude, I, I'm telling you, I'm, this, this game does everything right. I do have some small quibbles with it. Very, very minor quibbles, right? But 
it is, it's so much fun. The mechanics are so much fun. There are so many options that you have of taking down an enemy. There are so many big, fun story beats that are thrilling and adventurous. There's so many cool things to discover. There's such a wonderful marriage between the fantasy setting and the future setting. The mechanics, one thing I want to mention, there are, you know, you have these cool traps, like you can shoot these, these, um, these wires that you connect from one thing to another. So you can set up trip wires, you know, that'll, that'll go off and have different effects when an enemy goes through them. You have, uh, you have stasis, like a, a lob bomb thing that puts things into, into stasis. And you have this cool tear, these tear ammo that'll like tear uh, bits and pieces off of the enemy at, when you shoot them. So you can pinpoint with precision these specific things that you want to remove from an enemy. You also have the ability to take over enemies if you sneak up to them. Stealth in the game is handled really, really smartly. It's done like Tomb Raider does, where you just if you're in tall grass, you're you're stealthed. So you don't have to push a button. I mean, you crouch to get into st- to stealth as well, but you you don't you don't you're not ever in question as to whether you're in stealth or not. You're in tall grass. You're in stealth, and it's cool because she's the character's redheaded, right? And all the tall grass is this really neat looking like red flower. So it, it kind of makes sense that she would be camouflaged in it. But anyway, you can sneak up to things and kill them. But you can also sneak up to things and override them and turn them on, into your side. You do that to mount something and turn it into your your mount. So you can mount a variety of different animals in the world. But I say animals, but they're all mechanical. Uh, but you can also override uh, certain beasts and turn them on each other. So you create these situations where you have an ally for a while in the fight. Um, one thing that I did that I didn't know I could do is I overrode uh, a mount. I got on. It was like this cool ram-looking thing called a charger. I was riding it. I rode it into a fight, and I was like, oh, crap. I didn't know a fight was going to happen right here. I hopped off the charger, and the charger, because it's my mount and loves me, decided to fight on my behalf as well. So I, like, rode into this thing, leapt off my charger. It started fighting dudes, and I'm shooting bows and arrows at the bad guys. So cool, so dynamic, so fun, and there's like a, so many different ways to adapt and take care of a, a given encounter. It's it's such a blast to figure that out. I died a lot in this game, but never once did I die and feel like the game is unfair or the di- the difficulty. I mean, you you can get you can die from just a couple of hits from from a bad guy, which is usually kind of frustrating for me, but. I always felt like there was a different way to approach a situation. There was a new angle that I could take in taking down that monster that I hadn't thought about. So it wasn't like get better or get good or, you know, maybe you should have made that dodge faster. It was think it, think it better, come up with a better plan, come up with a better strategy, approach it from a different way. That is so thrilling in a game like this. It's so much fun. I mean, I could go on and on and on. I wrote like all these notes as I was playing it because I just, oh, the other thing I want to talk about <laughs> that's a brilliant innovation is the health bar system, right? So you have a health bar. You never regen your health automatically. There's no like hide in the corner and wait till your health regens. If you take damage, you take damage. There are potions that you can craft that'll replenish your damage immediately, but you also have a medicine pouch that lets you 
uh, take, you can gather herbs and put that into the medicine pouch. And you can uh, use that medicine pouch at any time by pressing up on the D-pad, and it replenishes your health. So you have this second bar underneath your health that's your medicine pouch bar. And you fill that up by gathering herbs. You don't have to craft anything. There are certain herbs that are just medicinal. So you just, it just, by gathering them, it fills up your bar. So you have this wonderful dynamic of, A, making gathering immediately fun. It's not like it's just filling up um, ingredients for you then to make potions, which you can also do, but it's not like this delayed gratification. You're, you're, you pick something and it fills up that bar and you can use that bar immediately. So it increases wonderful dynamism in the, in the fights of like, okay, do I use my, my medicinal healing? Do I use a potion to heal? Do I have everything filled up appropriately before I get into this fight? I've never seen a game do that before. And it's amazing. But do you like the game? Uh, it is it's an extraordinary game sounds like you hated it (laughs) i know i've been ranting and raving i mean i think the save system is smart like it it does all the little things really really smartly i mean some of my only gripes are that um it really doesn't have a melee combat system melee combat is really clunky and doesn't work but i think that's by design i think they want you to be bow and arrowing mostly uh and um some of the quests like there's one quest in particular that's a side quest that, you know, I guess this is a, a little spoiler. It's not really. It's a oh, very minor. Oh, don't say it then. Don't say it. Skip it. Or it's not no. out yet. I don't need to know it. It, it is such a – I don't it's, need to it know it. It illustrates my point. And I don't it's need to know such it. A, Christian. <laughs> I don't need to know it. Believe me. This is not a thing. It is a thing from a guy who covers their ears and walks away during trailers okay. for a movie. Right. It's a thing. Right. You don't know what I'm going to say. I, and just like you don't know what the trailer for Rogue One's going to show. It's going to show oh, – whatever, fine. Okay. It has nothing to do with anything, but go ahead. Um, Thank you. So, uh, Allegra, what's on your playlist? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Jeff. I'm sorry. <laughs> Gosh. Um, okay. I'm going to ease the tension here. Uh, well, I'm really excited Don't you for dare. Her. Keep it tense. <laughs> Actually, I love the tension. I feed off of, you know, fights. I feed off the end of friendships. Um, (laughs) I'm super pumped for Horizon Zero Dawn now. I I love when games are like kind of universally acclaimed because I I think my taste is like fairly, I have like very specific tastes. Like I'm down for like Animal Crossing, Pokemon, like anything Nintendo basically, or like Persona, you know, like JRPGs. So like, I don't know if Horizon Zero Dawn was necessarily on my list. It's not really like one of my genres, but the acclaim has been so positive like so effusively positive that i'm like so excited i'm happy for you know people like you who are loving the game but i'm also like okay now i gotta check it out so that's definitely on my playlist queue but the game i'm playing right now obsessively and maybe you guys are too i hope um is fire emblem heroes i read your review and i'm very interested to hear what what you had to say i downloaded it and uh, I played a little of it, but but I'm very curious to hear why you love it so much. I am so obsessed with it. So I'm a big Fire Emblem fan anyway. I really like, you know, like tactical RPGs. And I, the thing I like about Fire Emblem the most um, is that it's really character driven. So just as I, you know, was asking you, Jeff, about like, oh, what's the character like in Horizon Zero Dawn? Like, I really like a good character that I can fall in love with and get really invested in. So the whole 
point of Fire Emblem Heroes is, yo, Fire Emblem has a lot of characters. Let's just throw them all in a pot. Let's charge you some money for them because we got to make money because this is a free-to-play game and have at it. So I'm having a lot of fun just kind of collecting the different characters and then just like, you know, pitting them in this excellent battle system that's just called straight from the Fire Emblem series. It just feels like, you know, a new Fire Emblem 3DS game or something, but it's on my phone. And I I just am having a majorly fun time with it. Obviously, it is a free-to-play game, so it has those free-to-play gimmicks that I usually am very much averse to. Like, I never spend money, period, but especially not on mobile games. And I never really enjoy when games are, like, pay-gating me, like, oh, you played this game for five minutes straight. Now you got to take a break unless you want to pay up. That's always been sort of frustrating for me. But this this game, for some reason, I think it's the combination of the battle system and the characters, like the plentiful characters. I've just been consistently drawn to it. Like I just play it constantly at my desk and the music always starts playing and they're like, oh my God, you guys. I'm like, I'm sorry, you guys. I, I, I'm doing work, I promise. And everyone else is like, stop playing Fire Emblem Heroes at work. I know that technically is your job, but stop. So you're doing it mostly for from a narrative perspective. Is the, is the mechanics of the fighting, is it is it also hooking you in? Oh, definitely. So, I mean, the overall storyline is pretty garbage. I think it's just like the individual characters, just their voice lines and their character designs. The art is just... The, the presentation overall is just beautiful, and so I'm really drawn to that. But the storyline is like total garbo. I don't know what the story is. Um, but the battle system is... I don't... Have you ever played Fire Emblem, either of you guys? Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah, so it's pretty much the same, like the weapon triangle and right. all of that sort of thing. That's pretty much copied wholesale. Um, so it's as good as it is on console or, uh, you know, handhelds. It's still very addictive to, like, you know... See, oh, I, there's four axe wielders on the other team. That means I got to bring in my four, you know, red sword users. Um, so it's really fun to, like, build out your different teams of heroes based off what you're going to be going up against in terms of the different weapon classes. And also there's a variety of quests and challenges that kind of refresh. Like this week, there's a special weapon-based quest line. Um, so those change routinely. And that's just really fun to sort of, you know, customize your team around those in the the, the search of getting the all the rewards and high scores and that sort of thing. So I think mechanically it's really sound as well. It's That's definitely the part that I'm most drawn to more so than story, um, especially because you have to pay money for the characters, so I don't really have most of the characters that I want, <laughs> right. which is frustrating, but the fact that they are there is very comforting. Well, uh, you know, talking about character, I, I, I thought of a, a moment from uh, uh, Horizon that will definitely endear you to Aloy. Uh, it, there's a moment where she she finds out that the world is round, because, you know, primitive people, they would somebody says to her, well, uh, you all thought that the world was flat. And she goes, uh, it's obviously the world is round. The eclipse is curved. So, you know, it's so it's such a cool moment of her like, I'm smart. I'm not an idiot. I, I, I deduced it. And uh, I think there's there's tons of stuff like that in the game. So I think you're going to like her. 
I'm really, yeah, I'm actually really excited about her because she was definitely the reason I was like, okay, this is not really my genre, but she seems so cool that I will consider this game. So the combination of everyone saying, oh my God, this is like game of the year, plus she's actually a really great character definitely makes me really excited. Uh, Christian, you have been playing For Honor, which I'm very interested to hear more about. Yeah, um, so I, oh, whoa. Oh, great, there's like a car alarm going off. Cool, um, <laughs> you've been playing For Honor. No, you ha- um, so I, I streamed, um, like the middle part of, uh, the night, um, campaign, story campaign, so you can find that on my Twitch or it's archived on my YouTube as well, which is Christian Spicer 713 And it was during that stream that, uh, in, in the stream of consciousness, I guess it kind of came to me adapting on your old version of it's more fun than it is, than it is good. For me, I think for honor is I respect it more than I like it. Um, I think it is a fascinating and, and really cool attempt at, what I think, um, oh gosh, why am I blanking on the name of the game? Xbox One launch game. You and I both kind of liked it, but everybody kind of hated it. Perfect Dark uh, Zero? No, uh, Xbox One. Oh, Xbox One. Oh, you're talking about um, uh, the game that I got all the... Storm in the Beach with the guys and the Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> whatever. Oh, man, come on. Chat, someone, will, someone will save me on this, on what this game is. Um, but so I, there, there's this world, right. right? Yeah, Rise. Rise. Thank you. Thank you. Stats one in the chat coming through. Um, there's this world where there's this awesome game that is um, sword-based or, you know, weapon-based, hand-to-hand combat-based melee combat where it really captures that moment of you are facing off against one big guy, but you're in the middle of this huge war, and there's this other stuff going on around you. But what Rise tries to do and what For Honor tries to do, both in some of its online modes and in its campaign, is the idea that that stuff going on around you can affect you, right? It's not just scene dressing that's technically like a green screen in the background or something like that. We're like, yeah, it's cool, but you're fighting this guy like these grunts can come in and, and hit you and or overwhelm you and literally flood around you and as you're trying to duel with this other big character and so it changes how you have to play and how you have to react and this game isn't wholly new or wholly original you know it has elements of like dynasty warriors it has elements of like a souls game um you know it's kind of taking from these other games that have existed but what i think that it what it's creating is something new and very exciting in that when you're really squaring off to duel against one of these other, whether it's online, a computer-controlled character in the, in the campaign, or a bot, or another player, it is a new take on a fighting game that I think if played at Evo or some of the streams you can watch of high-level players, which I am not, uh, <laughs> I think you see some really fascinating fights because the whole premise of it, or the concept, and I'm oversimplifying here, but you have three stances, you know, left, right, or, or down. Um, and you, you do that with your default on a controller, your, the right analog stick. So if your stance is the same as your opponent's, you will block their swing. But that also means if you swing at them in that same sw- stance, they will block yours. So it's a little bit of this rock, paper, scissors. You're changing your stance to try to get open the one that they're not blocking because you can see what 
theirs is as well. And so you have to switch, but then that opens you that opens you up. Now you're vulnerable. So you need to get in and get your attack in or kind of try to start a combo, or you can do a guard breaker, and then you also have an evade, like a roll. So you're in this game that it could be sometimes super quick, right? Like where you mess up, they combo you, they can guard break or push you off a ledge and you're killed by the environment. Or you can get into this really long duel where and kind of the way um, dive kick was played sometimes where a long game of dive kick was obviously only you know like 10 seconds or whatever but it's like you, neither, neither one of you in for honor is swinging you're sitting there like changing stances evading going for a guard break but not connecting then evading out then changing stances and you're both kind of sitting there to see who's going to flinch first who's going to open up and then get owned and that that style of fighting game is really cool, and I think giving two players, you know, it's the, the closest I've seen to making what needs a better term, but this sole level of combat where you need to watch and read the character and how they're moving and what their tells are and when they're vulnerable and understanding their swing mechanic and how long someone with the big axe takes to get their axe back around and whether or not you can get in and, you know, what your role animation is and stuff like that is really, really cool. It's 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 really neat. Um, I'm not great at it, so I've played online. I played Dominion, which is like the closest to if you want to say, um, you know, a, a Dota style game, a MOBA style game where it's not lanes, but you know there are three control points, tons of grubs, kind of flooding the area, and then it's four v four v four, I believe. Um, you know, human players will be filled with bots, and so. It's not quite staying in your lane, but it's trying to get these control points and fight and battle, but also needing to take down the other human-controlled characters and then battling with these with these grunts in the world. Then I played some one v one online, which I am was not great at, but I, I see I see the game there. Uh, hopefully, it's balanced as it unlocks and you know people get good at it. Unfortunately, I found the campaign to be a little lacking. It's similar to Battlefield One in that it is there's a story and there's a narrative but it felt very much like a trainer for multiplayer where it's like you're going to play as the knight, you're going to play as the two-sword fast person, you're going to play as the the guy with the axe, the heavy, you're going to learn this, we're going to teach you how to parry, we're going to teach you this, we're going to, you know, this whole thing is to teach you that as a samurai, here are your fire arrows. Like this is you're going to I thought the Battlefield thing. 1 campaign was so I, I, I love the Battlefield 1 campaign. What I'm going to say yeah. is the difference is they both were setting you up to excel or to understand the various roles or tools in multiplayer. Battlefield 1, I think, did it in a much more compelling way. For Honor, it's like it opens, and I'm, I'm obviously paraphrasing, but it opens. It's like the same problem I kind of have with a lot of these Ubisoft quote-unquote serious games where it's so self-serious, I almost wait for them to wink at me like, we get it, but they never wink at you. Like, it opens, and it's like the world was peaceful, and everyone was happy. And those guys were losers. Stupid, peaceful people. Only when you fight are you cool. Let's go, bro. Let's fight. Let's be cool. And it's like, yeah, now we don't even know why we fight, but we're fighting because we're awesome. And I'm just like, ugh. And, like, it's, you get into a new environment, and it's like, it has men and women, and this, you know, it's like, and our boss came in, and she was the bad, most badass and you're like, and I'm just like, uh, it's it's so dude, bro, as it progresses. <laughs> and then you kill him, dude. It, only the weak. Do you know what separates us from the sheep? 
nothing. We're all expletive sheep. <laughs> and I'm just like rolling my eyes as I'm playing this thing. But uh, the combat, I think there's something really, really cool in it. And I hate, again, to say this for a Ubisoft game uh, because people say it a lot. But I would love to see the Assassin's Creed 2 of this. Um, and I think there's a lot of fun in the multiplayer but it, it does not, I don't think it's worth 60 bucks if you're just looking to play the story. But my hat's off to them for what they did. I think it's bold and it's ambitious. And there's some really, really cool fighting game in this thing. It's, it's, it's really admirable what they went and, and, and did. Cool. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I'm not super interested in that. With so many other big, big, big things coming, it's, it's hard to carve out time for For Honor for me, but um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Prey. I was lucky enough to play the first hour uh, at an event recently, and you'll hear my interview at the end of this episode as bonus content with Ricardo Bear uh, talking a little bit about that. Um, Prey is very similar to Dishonored, but it manages to figure out a way to sort of be its own thing. I, I, you know, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful game. Um, it is uh, really kind of clever in how it establishes its world. I'm not going to spoil anything, um, but it's a, it's got a fun, you know, what's happening. Everybody knows from that first trailer, right? That it's kind of got this like groundhog day theme that, that happens. And, uh, the way that, that introduces you to the world in the first hour is, is pretty cool. Uh, you'll eventually start fighting these mimics, these these weird alien, I guess they're aliens, I guess, creatures um, that can mimic any item in the world, in the game world. And it's really kind of amazing what they do on an AI level. They don't have any scripted mimics. They're, there's not a mimic that says, he says, okay, you're going to be a lamp in this room. So when the player comes in and goes over to the lamp, you jump out and attack him. Rather, what they do is they create a series of AI routines that say you're going to be you're you're capable of being any item in this room. You are going to be a item in this room. You decide, AI, and the player, you know, even if you play the same sequence over and over, you don't know if there's an, a mimic in there or if there is what it's mimicking. So it leads to a lot of surprising moments and craziness. Um and that's pretty cool like uh, you know the the game also has some other weird it seems like it would break the game type stuff in it. There's this very early on, you get this weapon that can shoot these like globules of, I don't know, kind of foam that hardens, you know, um, like, like quick drying cement or something. And obviously you can use that to capture enemies and then smash it with your wrench or whatever, but you can also spray it anywhere and use it as a platform so there's all these weird things that the designers have even said they haven't foreseen of ways to skip whole sections of the game. I mean, it's going to be a speedrunner's dream. Um, you're creating platforms for yourself with this gun and then jumping into weird areas of the level. I think that's pretty wild. And the fact that they're able to give those powers to the, to the um, player is pretty neat. And I guess you're going to get a lot of the alien powers le- later on. We didn't get far enough in in the first hour to experience any of that. But I will tell you that I was very impressed with the, just the UI. Usually, usually a game's UI isn't super impressive, but man, this game is so, everything is so clear and crisp and easy, easy to navigate. I was really impressed with that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a little horror-y. Uh, it's a little Bioshocky. It's a little d- d- dishonoredy. 
but um, it, it manages to carve out its own little identity even in that quick first hour, and uh, I'm excited to play more of it. I think it's there's a lot of creativity in in how you move through the world and what you know how you level yourself up. It's got that um, uh, System Shock style. You know, there's three or four ways to get past any obstacle. You know, if you if you're a hacker, you can hack it, or you can kill the guy that has the key to the thing, or you can figure out a way to jump, jump, jump and get inside it or whatever. You know, it's got like multiple ways to to traverse any obstacle, which is I, which I is forget. Cool. Do either of you know does this have a release date yet? Do we know when I think it's coming? Fall. It's coming out in May, actually. Oh May, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. God! Which is really interesting because it's right before E3, so that's part of also why like Bethesda's you know comments from earlier were really interesting because we don't really know what is on the docket for them post E3. Right, and they have a big press conference. They're doing it again this year, so I imagine something to something to talk about. Yeah, wild. Yeah. So again, uh, you'll hear more at the end of this episode with my interview. Um, but uh, yeah, I was very encouraged with what I saw. It looks like it's going to be really fun. Again, has nothing to do with any previous Prey, <laughs> whether it's the one that actually came out or the Prey 2 that was teased many E3s ago. Uh, it's completely fresh, new, interesting game. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of weird they're using that title, but but it you know, looks really cool. All right. So uh, let's uh, take a break for a second and thank our second sponsor, Fireside. Uh, If you're a podcaster or you have any dreams of becoming a podcaster, Fireside is really something you should know about. Fireside is a podcasting hosting and analytics platform that was created by podcasters for podcasters. So basically the guy who started this network that you're listening to right now, the 5x5 network, his name is Dan Benjamin. He's been podcasting for a long time. He decided that he wanted to create a new way for podcasters to be able to put out their material quickly and easily and have analytics that they can actually use. So he took everything he learned from from doing podcasts himself and created Fireside. And Fireside really has everything you need. It has unlimited uploads, unlimited downloads, massive amounts of real-time data and analytics about your unique downloads, a super fast CDN for the best download speeds, multiple podcast support, free one-click podcast importing from other platforms like Libsyn, FeedPress, Simplecast, and SoundCloud, custom domain mapping. It has a a beautiful, responsive website with your own artwork, host, and guest pages, and tons of advanced features like sponsorship integration, chapter markers, a bookmarklet for links, auto-posting of future episodes, and uh, time code linking, and so much more. Also, you can try Fireside for free for seven days. Check it out. See if you like it. And uh, you can import your existing podcasts in that free period while also taking advantage of all the features that Fireside has to offer. But the unlimited plan starts at just 19 bucks a month, which is so much lower than a lot of those other places as well. And there's no commitment or long-term agreement to worry about. All you got to do is visit fireside.fm slash DLC today, take the tour, and then use the code DLC for 20% off of the standard plan for three months. That's fireside.fm slash DLC by podcasters for podcasters. All right, this is normally the part of the show where we do VR talk and then tabletop time, but I wanted to do something a little different this week. I wanted to introduce uh, a new segment that we may or may not do if it catches on, if you guys like it. Uh, I'm calling it Quick Questions. Quick, 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 quick questions. So quick question, guys. Previously recorded. Previously recorded. Okay, as I said, that was a very impressive, uh, like, quick, quick, quick on top of yourself. I I was super impressed. Thanks. Yeah. But there's no reason to be impressed because it was pre-recorded. I'm still That's impressed. That's the bumper. That's the bumper. Uh, quick question, guys. This is something I was thinking about today playing uh, Horizon. Should 
the map icon. So like when you when you you know click to your map, you're playing a game, you click your map to go to your map, it covers your whole screen, right? You see a little icon, a little arrow where you are. And the arrow is facing a direction relative to where you are in the game. It's a third-person action game. Should the map icon be pointing at the direction your character is facing or the camera is facing? So if I turn my camera around and I'm looking at the face of my character, right? So my character is facing me, the camera. I'm like looking at a direction or I'm looking to the right or left or whatever. And I click the map and I, and I see where the map is saying my character is pointing should it be pointing where my character is facing or where the camera is facing? What do you think, Allegra? Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I think the character, right? I think so, too. What yeah. do you think, Christian? Unless it's the character, right? I mean, if it's a first-person game, then it's one and the same. But if it's a third-person game, it should be the your icon, your little triangle on your map is the character. And whether or not you're exploring something else with your camera and looking behind you or whatever, it, the map should orient your character and not your camera. Okay. Uh, quick question, guys. Do you ever feel guilty going through a level fast? I was feeling this, like, you know, you're running through a corridor or something, and there's like this beautifully designed, there's computers on the left side, or there's like a, you know, an intricate painting in a room, and there's, you know, knickknacks and stuff, all cr- there by made by artists who painstakingly modeled those things and and you know made lit them and created a scene to make it so that it looked completely realistic and you know there's garbage in the corner or there's whatever all these little details that are there to sell that idea so that when you run through there fast you are you believe it's a real place but when i run through there fast I feel guilty. I'm like, I, these people work so hard. I feel super feel bad. Yeah. I love those. I like live for little details like that anyway. But when I'm playing a game, I am totally not paying attention to that stuff. I'm just like, oh, I need to get out of here. I just need to finish this already. So I never pay attention to that stuff. But then, especially when you put it like that, or if I sit down and think about it afterward, I'm like, oh, no, no, this game is really pretty. And I'm totally not paying attention to any of that. This feels really bad. Yeah, I, I, Christian, I have this same thought when I read a comic book. When I read a comic book quickly and I like, I'm going, you know, I'm reading it fast. Every panel, some dude drew, it took him a day to draw that page. And I just like read a couple of the, the word bubbles and, you know, quickly understood where the characters were, were and what they were doing. And I moved on. And I'm like, some dude spent so long drawing this. Nope. You don't feel, <laughs> you don't feel any, any guilt about that? No, and here I'll I'll frame it in a way that I think you'll appreciate. You are appreciating the world when you run through it quickly, unless you're rushing, you're skipping a cutscene. That's a different thing, and you're also appreciating it when you're reading a comic book quickly, because uh, I would believe if framed and paced correctly, you're taking it all in as ambiance in the world, and it is uh, impacting how you feel about the level and what you're about to be doing. I did a bonus chat with Rob Crackle on on this very show where we talked about sound design, and he would talk about how you know a door isn't a door. It's not just we don't just record a door closing and it's a, it's a door closing. It's like what is the story this door is telling is something uh, scary and tense happening behind this door you're gonna you know squeak into it if it's just a door you're coming in maybe you almost don't even notice it as you go through it and i was like i had never even thought of that before i'm gonna go back and he was talking about some instances in the last of us i want to go through and play that and listen for this thing and then as we've talked more off mike you know you know we're both friends with him in real life um 
like part of that world too is that you don't notice it uh, externally or consciously, but it colors your subconscious into how you're enjoying this experience and what is happening. And so I think in games, it's certainly fine to sit and dwell and look at a painting or look at a whatever and appreciate the environment. But what the realistic world and what the lit object and all of this stuff is doing is that it is subconsciously coloring your experience and your, and your joy with this world. And same with a comic book. While I've fallen off of it recently and haven't read it maybe in the past six months or so, when The Walking Dead started, what it was so masterful at is that as you were reading it, it would pace itself in a way that The Walking Dead, the comic book, would have jump scares based on panels or page reveals. And it's because you fall into this rhythm of your reading and you're kind of going through things and comic books have a pace, especially when plotted and and, and, and written and, and framed appropriately, that then you get to a moment when you turn a page and there's a zombie there it's a full splash you're taken aback it's kind of like in a movie when you're watching arrival for the first time are you stopping and pausing it and re-watching in slow motion when the ink comes up and makes a circle like an artist rendered all of that but what that's doing is that it's coloring your experience with this world and how this thing is happening so when you enjoy it at the pace in which it's meant to be played i would say that you are using and experiencing that world as it was meant to be experienced and then if you want to go back and buy the coffee table book of that world or the art of uncharted or whatever yeah there's amazing stuff and i think what's most amazing about it is that how we don't think it impacts us but how big of a role it's actually playing in the game much like the real world where if you're walking through a beautiful city or you're walking down the streets of prague are you stopping to look at every stone chisel detail or if you're walking around suburbia big box best buy applebee's target are you just kind of going in and getting buy with what you're there to do because everything looks the same little houses on the hillside and all made of sticky tacky or whatever so i think it colors your experience in a way that you're not giving the game designers or yourself credit for period and rant <laughs> wow that was very convincing <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i think you're right I, and i i know i've been i was kind of saying the same thing in the sense that it, it's there so that when you move quickly through it it all looks realistic but i also i it doesn't that doesn't dissuade my feeling that well, there's nothing wrong in just pausing the smell. My... Right. It's just like in real life. Stop and smell the roses from time to time. There's nothing wrong with that. But I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, playing the game as it is paced either. Okay. This one might be harder. Quick question. Is there a game that has never been made that you wish you could will into existence? <laughs> Allegra, do you have an answer for this one? Man, I feel like there's probably so many, like... I'm th- my immediate thought is like a dating sim where you can like date everyone in your high school, but everyone in your high school is like a dog. <laughs> like, I would really <laughs> love that game. Dog, dog high school. Yes. I love that. Are you also a dog or do you just want to date dogs? Like what are I we looking at here? not reveal my secrets. <laughs> you want to find huh? out if I am a dog or a human? Check me out on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, Christian, do you have a do you have an answer for this one? This is a tough one, uh, and I tried not to think about it. I did see it early, but I tried to let the live in the moment. Um, I think it might come. I think it might happen. I'm, I'm hopeful that Amy is making it right now. But it's that Naughty Dogs Star Wars game. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, I love the Star Wars world and universe. I think on this show, I've talked about Catalyst, the Rogue One book. I like what Disney's doing with the franchise now. And I, you know, I love the franchise as a, as a kid and the um, Rebels, the Disney XD show is just phenomenal. Also, Freddie Prince Jr., if you ever want to be on this show, I know you game. You're, you're, you're phenomenal. Come on the show. Um, <laughs> uh, I want, I want that. I want that 
the real lived in. Remember when Shadows of the Empire came out on Nintendo 64 and we thought we were going to get that like yeah. back in the day? I want I want that. That's the game I, I would willing to be happening. I hope uh, so. In the in the chat, uh, Kooky Bird said Half Life Three, which is not that's cheating. And Purple Hydra says uh, a game based on the IP, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which I played that game when I was young. It was a text adventure from Infocom. <laughs> it was actually I played that before I read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, so I didn't understand why I would put this fish in my ear. I was like, <laughs> that's how you get past this puzzle? Is I put a fish in my ear? That's weird, but. All made sense later in life when I read the books. Um, the reason I <laughs> the reason I asked this question is because I I thought of one. Uh, you know I've always wanted a like a good Superman uh, game, so that's another one. But the one that I thought of, uh, you know, I'm a big uh, wrestling WWE wrestling fan. Why is there not a WWE 2D fighter? Like all of the wrestling games are these. 3D sort of weird stamina games that I find very frustrating and aren't, it's not clear when you can get knocked out and when you can get up. If they just made like Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat, but with WWE characters, I'd be down. I think that'd be really cool. Are the Super Nintendo ones not that? I mean, I know they're kind of like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the arcade in terms of going up and down a plane, but yeah, you know, like- no, they're not that at all. They're not. Mm-hmm. Th- I think it would be so much cooler to, I don't know. I want somebody to make that, make the WWE 2D fighter. Yeah. It'd be awesome. Uh, and we have uh, one last question. It's not may- maybe not be quick, uh, but this was uh, sent into us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. If you like the segment and you want to hear more quick questions, send them to us, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. I'm hoping to make this a regular thing. Uh, this comes from another Christian, not this Christian, but a different Christian. Uh, it says, hello, Jeff and uh, Jeff, Christian and DLC guest. For the past two and a half years, I have been in an intercultural, interfaith, cross-country, long-distance relationship. My girlfriend is from Turkey, and I am from Germany, and needless to say, we have some big things to overcome. Besides having to deal with bigotry and prejudice, besides the constant worsening political environment in the world, especially between the European Union and Turkey, besides the money problems for flight tickets and besides visa restrictions, we also have normal everyday problems like petty fights and boredom. When the conversation topics run out, it gets quiet on Skype. That's why I want to ask you guys if maybe you know any simple apps or games that could help us close the gap a bit. Don't need to be super in-depth, but it should be easy to connect to and entertain for a short while. Of course, if you can think of anything else, I would highly appreciate it too. I hope this is the right way to contact you. Love the show. Stay awesome and thank you in advance. Christian. What do you think, Allegra? You got any, uh, any tips? Any way to save this guy's relationship (laughs) man i'm trying to think of like games that have like bonded me with people no matter no matter where we are um this is an oldie but a goodie and i take the time to plug this game as often as i can um neko atsume i feel like is a really good game that like transcends you know language barriers or like physical barriers it's just I don't know if you guys were on the Nekotsume train back when it was a big thing, summer of 2015. Oh my God, it's the best game. Um, So basically it's like a cat collecting game. It's like a, you know, free to play mobile game. So, you know, anyone can play it. Um, And it basically is just about leaving food out in this, in your backyard and attracting stray cats. And there's like (laughs) a... Oh, right. No, Anthony Carboni got super into this game as as, as he would. (laughs) Uh, yeah, so I did hear about this. Amazing. 
Yeah. So that was definitely a game that like bonded me to my best friend who like I live in New York and she lives in LA, but this was a game that we both were able to connect over, even though there's no actual direct contact. It's really just about like, oh, this cat came into my yard today. And I'm like, what? I haven't seen that cat yet. Um, So I think that's a really good, a good connecting kind of game. That's pretty cool. Christian, you have any, any suggestions? I mean, if she's a, if she's a gamer, um, I think a game, you know, the chat has mentioned WoW, but I think games like Destiny, um, you know, that requires some level of uh, skill, proficiency with a twin six, uh, you know, a shooter, a traditional shooter. Um, but if that's possible, I think games like that are great that are basically just conversations while you do something. If she's not, and this applies to both games and not games, um, a, start a book club with her. Like, hmm. and take turns picking the book, and then if you don't have anything else to talk about about, you know, relationshipy stuff, like, long-distance dating is hard. I only did it for a year, um, but it's hard, uh, even without all the other stuff that, that you know, they're facing. Um, so if, if she is into games or whatever, find that thing and then talk about it. Or TV shows, like, don't binge-watch um, Game of Thrones. Like, watch an episode together. If she's into games... There's um a plug Dave Gem Day Dev Game Club. Jeez Louise, it's Brett Duvall and and Tim Longo, um, and they kind of play games like a book club, where they will each you know play a game through the first boss and then sit down and talk about their experiences. So if she's into games, I think that's a great way to do it too, where you don't need to be playing online together, but like, hey, we're both going to pick up whatever, and they can be old cheap games, and you know, then talk about it, and it gives you a thing, a shared experience that you're both doing that you can talk about together, because I think the hard part about a long-distance relationship is that you're not sharing in the mundane, and so those conversations sometimes seem boring, whereas if you're together, you can both talk about what Richard wore to work today, or something like that, because you both know Richard. I want to suggest a, uh, a way to play board games online. Uh, I think that would be a really fun thing to do. It's a great conversation starter. Uh, there is an open source board game engine called Vassal, V-A-S-S-A-L. Uh, you can find it at vassalengine.org. Uh, it has, I think, like 1,500 different uh, board games that have been adapted for it. And you play them online. Hmm. It's pretty cool. And there are you know, a whole wide range, as, as I said, 1,500 of them. So a uh, really cool way to hang out online and, and maybe... Uh, you know, have some, have some fun and play a game. Um, hopefully that helps. We really appreciate you sending in your question. Uh, you can always send in questions to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, hopefully we'll get some more quick questions, but, uh, I thought that was pretty fun. That's going to wrap up our show. Uh, we do have a parting gift coming at you very soon. So stick around for that. But Allegra Frank, thank you so much for being here. Thank you guys so much. This was super fun. Awesome. Uh, where can people keep up with you on the internet? Uh, well, definitely polygon.com where you can see, find my byline on the reg. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I am at legs Frank on Twitter. Uh, Allegra Frank was already taken. Apparently there is another Allegra Frank in this world. Do you go by legs at any, does anybody call you legs? Uh, I, I welcome it. I would love I for people cool. to call me legs. Yeah. yeah. I would love – you guys can call me Legs if you would like. Well, your le- Legs, you're always welcome back here. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. <laughs> I had a great time. Awesome. Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? 
Uh, Twitter's the easiest way to get in touch. It's at Spicer. Um, my album is out. We're all going to die. Check it out if you have not. Uh, and then this isn't this week at all, but I will be in London and in the UK the oh. end of June, beginning of July. Don't have shows to say like, this is for sure happening or not. But um, if you have great shows out there, I'm interested in doing them. I'm, I'm in the process of setting all that stuff up now so that's further down the road but something to look forward to if you're out that way and then this week i don't even know i don't it's it's uh uh, parenting podcast i can say other podcasts department of parenting which is a parenting podcast chris quintos and i do twice a week you can find it all at departmentofparenting.com and then my other geek focused um show it's just kind of me by myself talking about something for 20 minutes or so it's called at least 20 more minutes and you can find that at patreon.com slash christian spicer this week's show is going to use um legion the fx show legion as a jumping off point which is you know based in the x world and the x-men world and stuff like that so that is this week's show jeff what about you you can always listen to me talking about movies and TV on the Slash Filmcast. That's at SlashFilmcast.com. I think we got uh, Cure for Wellness and Logan on, on the docket coming up soon. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata with two N's and one T. Uh, also, I do We Have Concerns, which is a comedy science show, which you can find at WeHaveConcerns.com. Pretty fun. Uh, but that's going to do it. Oh, oh my goodness. We do have to have our parting gift uh, so let's get right to that right now. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a gift. This is gift. Allegra, do you have something to help people get through their week? Oh, man. I, I would love some advice on that myself. <laughs> uh, so I'm a big fan of like TV. I watch a lot of TV and I think that is actually an excellent way to get through the week. Uh, just binge watching as much as you can. So on my docket, I'm a big HBO subscriber. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm trying to catch up. I missed my Sunday night shows yesterday. So I have uh, John Oliver to catch up on girls. I'm going to start big little lies uh, crashing really excited for those two. Um, I thought Legion. they were both excellent. I, oh, you watched them? Oh my goodness! Yeah, I thought Big Little Lies really wowed me. I, I was really impressed with that. And Crashing is, is delightful. So I think you have you have good stuff to look forward to, in my opinion. Oh man, I'm super excited. And then I also have been watching Legion, which I think is a super interesting, beautiful show. So those are like my my main things. Where I come home from a long day, and I'm like, no one speak to me. I'm going to watch as many hours of television as I can until I pass out with like my hand in a bowl of like nuts or something. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Christian, how about you? You got a parting gift? Yeah, I'm maybe halfway through it right now, but it's a, it's another novel that just came out. It is Lincoln in the Bardo, which is George Saunders' first full novel. George Saunders, if you don't know him, is widely regarded as one of the best the modern writers. Yeah, yeah just genius. He, he's young and has done so much uh, in such a short amount of time, all things considered. And Lincoln in the Bardo is it's a novel. And it takes it's um, about Lincoln's I believe is Willie Lincoln his youngest. Anyway, it, it, what is fascinating about it. And I think it's if you enjoy reading, and I, I would recommend reading this book, I don't know how the audiobook is, or if one exists. But every, you know, paragraph or every second line, it, it, it's constantly jumping from um, perspectives. So you're, you're getting a full story, an actual novel, but you're also learning about 
I don't know how many total characters there are in this book, 40? Like you're learning their individual story and tone and feeling because the way that they describe the scene, and sometimes it's just one word, but you start to learn all of these characters as the full novel unfolds. So if you enjoy reading, I mean, I've never read anything like it, and it's it's challenging. Like when I sit sat down to read it at first, I'm like, wait, what? And like some of the things are real sources, like are real quotes that actually happened and that actually existed, and then some are fictional characters are just created for this world. But then as you get into it and you kind of find your rhythm with it, um, so far, it's been rewarding in a way that no other book has ever done because of 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 the exercise in reading it. Hopefully, I'm I'm singing its praises and not selling it short. But it's fascinating. Did you read Tenth of December? No, I have you, not. Immediately after you're done, you, it's so good. It, that's his short story collection that came out. I don't know a couple of years ago. Um, it, this, there's sci-fi stories. There's it's so amazing. It's so amazing. So I, I have downloaded this as well. It's on my Kindle. I'm so excited to get it get it rolling. Um, yeah, he's he's a genius. So yeah, this is fascinating. It's really I, I can't wait till you start diving in to see how you kind of bounce around on it. It's crazy. Thank you for reminding me that I need to pick that one up too. I'm a big Saunders fan as well. Yeah, guy's a genius. Uh, we have a listener submitted. Uh, Parting gift from Jordan Cohen. He also has book recommendations. He says, hey, guys, when Jeff was recommending the first contact book he read, which, again, if you're on Audible, is an audio book that I did the narration for called Traveling in Space by Stephen Paul Leva. You guys can check that out. Uh, I, I would love everybody to give that again, that book a shot. I think our promo code is still good, too, for a free book on Audible. Anyway, he said, It made me realize that I'm currently reading an incredible series, which could be described the same way. Octavia Butler sadly died over a decade ago, and I somehow didn't discover her work until last month, reading the first entry in her Xenogenesis trilogy called Dawn. Even though it came out over 30 years ago, it and its sequels still read like modern-day masterpieces. It's a first contact story on unlike anything I've ever read or watched, with some really disturbing yet fascinating looks into how an intelligent species, completely unlike humans, might learn to live with humans. It's also strangely applicable to modern-day times, including an analysis of humanity and its weaknesses and how aliens might want to try to improve all of us. While the series is old, I think it would still make the perfect parting gift. It deserves to be discovered by a new generation of sci-fi fans, and the fact that she's an African-American woman sci-fi author, which is sadly still so rare these days, makes it an even easier book to recommend. Side note, apparently there are plans in the works to adapt it as a TV series. No news on that for a couple of years, though. Hopefully something ends up coming from this. Uh, That's from Jordan. Thanks, Jordan. Uh, I I wasn't aware of these, so yeah, it's going to be on my radar as well. Um, again, they're called the, uh, the Xeno, where'd it go? Xenogenesis trilogy. Yeah. Um, I have, if you're, you know, if you're like Allegra and you want to binge something, my wife and I binged a whole series in less than a week. Uh, it's a new Amazon prime series called Sneaky Pete. Uh, it has, uh, Giovanni Ribisi and Brian Cranston. Uh, it was actually produced by Brian Cranston. Oh man, I love stories of uh, con artists. This is a great con artist story. I love the sting. You know, I love unless you know when when a con artist isn't our president. I love hearing about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and this is such a great, such a great show. Uh, Ten episodes. You'll want to blow through it. It gets more and more interesting as it goes through. Margot Martindale is in it, who is amazing. Check out Sneaky Pete on Amazon Prime. All right, guys. 
That'll do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for the music. Uh, thanks to Allegra Frank and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. And thanks to all the folks in the chat room for uh, participating in the show in real time. We really appreciate it. Thanks to all of you who have downloaded the show. Please take a moment. Give us a five-star rating on your platform of choice. We appreciate that. And maybe tell a friend about the show and help spread the word. We will be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. All right, I'm here with uh, Ricardo Bear, the lead designer on Prey for Bethesda. I uh, just uh, got my first hands-on with the game, and I came away very, very impressed. It's great. I'm yeah, it's, uh, it's already really, really cool. I'm curious about the, the challenge that you had, uh, you know, working in the same studio publisher that, you know, did Dishonored, mm-hmm. and, and finding a way to carve out a way for this game that has a lot of very similar elements to be different to have its own identity yeah was that a was that a challenge um not not in that way because uh the reality is there's actually there's two arcane uh physical studios Mm -hmm. so there's the uh studio in austin which is where i'm from uh raf and i work there with with the team in austin and then there's the studio in lyon france um and so the lyon team was working on dishonored and then they started ahead of us and then we, because um, we collaborated, um, we worked together. It was basically one team, two studios on Dishonored 1. But after Dishonored 1, um, they staffed up a little bit. We staffed up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and we started working on Prey. Uh, that being said, though, like uh, me and Harvey and Raph, of course, are constantly sharing notes and giving each other feedback. And you know, people on the team do that as well. Uh, but it was two uh, independent efforts. And the, the other thing that's interesting is... Um, it is the same culture, the same philosophy, the same values, uh, but this game is more like Arx Fatalis, another game that Arcane did, than it is right. like Dishonored. Yeah, because uh, Arx Fatalis was a was a you know a fantasy game that all took place in one huge dungeon underground. Um, it was very open ended and had like light RPG layers, and so in a way, um, uh, this Prey is you know very much influenced by System Shock, but it's 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 also very much the roots of what Arcane originally worked on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it certainly feels like one of those games, having mm-hmm. multiple ways to uh, approach any of the, the impediments in your way, mm-hmm. um, being able to specialize in a certain aspect. Um, can you talk a little bit about the the inspiration behind the universe of Prey and where mm-hmm. we are, and that you know the game sort of starts with this um, Groundhog Day type situation, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. So there are a couple of things there. You know, uh, early on, uh, Raf, our creative director, was uh, really wanted to push the whole like, you know, t- multiple layers of reality angle and making sure that the opening had lots of like rug pulls, um, and so you know we we worked on that for a long time and that's how we ended up with the like the looking glass technology which you know gets developed further as you play the game. But in terms of uh, world design, um, you know we worked very closely with our artists, um, even the art director from uh, Lyon, Sebastian Miton, and our visual designer, uh, Emmanuel Petit. Uh, our whole art team is like super creative, super um, super smart uh, people. And uh, they, uh, we, we, we kind of wanted to stay away from two things deliberately. Um, we wanted to stay away from the like uh, classic military, like military space ship in, in, in space kind of thing, like right. all dark metals and steam and we also wanted to stay away from uh, NASA type stuff. 
you know, no, no, nothing government, nothing military, no mm. like clean utilitarian Spartan kind of things. Right. Instead, we were like, let's go with like, because you see it happening now in in our own world. Like these private companies are sort of taking over the like space tech industry, right. which is yeah, cool, SpaceX right? It's not just NASA now. It's like SpaceX yeah. and Virgin and um, uh, Elon Musk's uh, thing, his his Dragon capsules, right? That he's yeah. like, trying, he's like those companies are now su- supplying the International Space Station. And so we just said, let's like, let's go, let's go deep on that. Like, let's imagine a company that like really takes off, really has a lot of money, and our history um, is different than the history of the real world, right? It's, there's minor changes that have big consequences. Like Kennedy, yeah, survived, and as a result of that, the space race like, like even even further, right, was invigorated by his um, uh, by his his uh, his presidential like support of it, right. <clears throat> and so we just you know forecasted that as like well, what would happen in that universe of pri- private tech industry, lo- lots of money and support um, for that kind of stuff. And so that's how Transtar came about. And mm-hmm. so instead, instead of this military or this government thing, instead you have this like really beautiful space station. Yeah. Where like, hey, a private company wouldn't have uh, with lots of good tech and lots of money, they wouldn't have like hallways that are cramped, and, <laughs> you know, yeah, sharp angles and uh, stuff that's ugly. They would ha- they would they would have wood in space. They would have we've, we've got wooden floors. Come work at Transtar. Yeah, in space. That's how badass we are. You know that kind of. That's thing. super cool. And, and aesthetically, mm-hmm. I like it because you know the game is is very much a horror game. Mm-hmm. In, in a, you know, you feel scared, and the monsters <laughs> are horrific, mm-hmm. but. It doesn't have a lot of the trappings of a horror game right. where it's not dark, it's not shadowy, it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't feel. You don't have that kind of repressed, claustrophobic thing. Yeah, you manage to have a horror element mm-hmm. with a lot of space, with with things that are beautiful. Yeah, which is cool. Yeah, some of it is. Uh, the other thing I would say add to that is that it's also uh, to a large degree unscripted. Mm. Um, like the the really cool thing about the mimics, which they're one of my favorite uh, aliens or one of my favorite AI ever in a game. Uh, they're they're not their behaviors. Like, so the mimic basically can turn into any any physics object in the game, like a chair, a bottle of water, a coffee cup. They can even uh, pretty much anything that you can pick up and carry around. A mimic can disguise itself as one of those objects. Right. But it's not scripted. Like the level designers don't say you must become this object, and every care every player is going to experience the same. Oh, jump so if scare. you walk in a room, that mimic isn't necessarily always going to be the water it's, model. Exactly. Yeah. It's, oh, wow. It's part of the AI's behavior. Now we do script a couple at the very beginning of the game, just because we're trying to teach the player about the game. But uh-huh. once you get out into the main game, it's like, it's, you know, it's the wild west. Like the mimics can do anything, and we're we are constantly surprised wow. by the AI. So it's just so fun. That's incredible. I, I mm-hmm. had, you, that's that's pretty neat. So I guess you know speedrunners are going to have a harder time. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it's, it's not going to be like okay, turn around the left corner. There's going to be a mimic yeah. on the shelf. It's like no, there might not be a mimic on the shelf. Right. You know, do, do the do the uh, enemies respawn in the game, or can you clear out areas of of the bad guys? So um, the way the game uh, is connected is it's you know it's one big space station, so it's not a linear sequence of missions. Um, so you can, when you get to a new area, of course there are aliens in it, but um, and you can clear it out. But if you leave and you come back like hours later, mm. then the aliens will creep back in. Okay. And sometimes it'll be um, because uh, the aliens aren't just sitting around waiting for you to kill them. Uh, they have their own agenda. They're progressing. Uh, when you if you come back to an area, it might be more difficult aliens than, than were there the first time. Yeah. And this early part of the game that I was able to play today. Mm. We didn't get to to getting any of those alien powers, yep. but you will be able to do some of them. You'll be able to mimic things yourself. Yeah, that's that's the other thing. It's like that was another rule that we committed to early on. 
we were like, okay, so these aliens can do you know X Y Z things, like the mimics can mimic things, and then we also committed to the player eventually acquires this item called a psychoscope. Uh, which is like this scientific tool. It's like really cool. It's fun to use. Um, but you scan an alien, and you get all this cool information, like things that they're vulnerable to, things that they're immune to. But you also learn their abilities. Mm-hmm. And so that we realized one day, like, oh crap, that means the player can learn the mimic ability, which means the players can turn into coffee cups and roll around on the ground. <laughs> and it sounded so crazy at first. Uh, everyone was like giggling in the room. <laughs> but like when you tried it, it was like this is almost ridiculous, but. It's too fun to not let players do that in the game. Right. Because people were doing things like, there's a little window here in the security booth that, and I can't find the key. Well, I'll just turn into a coffee mug and roll into the hole and, you know, boom, I'm in. <laughs> so it's pretty fun. I can't wait to try that. That, that sounds really cool. And there's and you can go outside the space station. It's a, it's a much larger world than, than I was able to see today. Yeah, eventually, not much further than what you played. Um, uh, eventually, the player will find airlocks that go to the outside. And once you, the more airlocks you open, the more access you have. Um, but once you go to the outside, it's not it's not like a special gimmick level or anything like that. It's the entire outside of the space station has been modeled and crafted, and you can explore all the nooks and crannies, and uh, it's all zero-G, which is like, super fun to fly around in. And you said there are multiple endings? Yep. And yep. it seemed to indicate that maybe the people who at first look like having evil intentions, might we might sympathize with some of that they're saying? Yeah, you know, there, there isn't... Um, there isn't a super clear villain in the game, I like that. Uh, and so uh, we've had players, you know, play testers play it who who argued with each other like, "No, this person is totally wrong. Like, I've got to stop them." And you know, other people have taken the opposite side. So that's that was our goal. So that's cool. Well, very cool. I'm really excited to play more of it. It, it uh, hooked me right away. So awesome. Very Thanks good. for playing, man. Thank I you. I appreciate it. it. Good meeting you. All right.